So, a traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. Speaking of Jesus, <laughs> part two, I guess. This is uh, I, for those people who have no interest in the New Testament but really are into the Hebrew Bible. Calling this part two might mm. be unfavorable. Probably. So this is not Return of the Jedi, as per the Book of Mormon. I know. No, it's... no, this is Empire Strikes Back. Okay, yeah, that's the yeah. second one. Yeah, so this is not Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I mean. For the Christians, it's, it is. <laughs> Literally. Wow. The Empire does strike back hard. Spoiler alert. Right? I mean, Spoiler. this book's been out for 2,000 years. Just just short of 2,000 years. If you haven't read it at this point, and you don't know how the story goes, that's on you. <laughs> I've seen a few memes that are like, whoa, 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 don't tell me he dies at the end. <laughs> Spoiler, he dies at the end. Uh, <laughs> Oh, boy. On this episode of the, the Holy Watermelon, Watermelon Podcast. Podcast. That was a pretty all over there soft opening, but I like it. <laughs> if you listened to last episode, you can probably. If you didn't listen to the previous episode, I feel like by now you should have picked it up. We're talking about <laughs> the Christian Bible this time. Yeah. Last episode, Hebrew Bible, this episode, Christian Bible. Yeah. Next episode, I'm going to say Muslim Bible. Very offensive. I mean, it's not as offensive as it, as it could be, but yeah, no, it's, it's not, not favorable right. language. <laughs> and then Mormon Bible. I, I, you know, trickier and more problematic okay. than calling the Quran the, the Muslim Bible. All right. So we were talking about the Hebrew Bible, how it was this long process of canonization of all these texts that were important for various reasons, some of which included fiction. The New Testament is very deliberately different. Um, it's Christians built the New Testament in the same way that they looked at the Old Testament, believing that every part of it was sacred, which, when you're building a religious library, is a very helpful thing to do. And so we have a narrower spectrum of genres in this collection. Yeah, it's a whole bunch of letters and a handful of Gospels. And that's really it. That's very much it. And then uh, an apocalypse to round it all Which out. comes in the form of letters. Wow. <laughs> so, of course, the Gospels are the meat. Well, yeah, the, the number one focus for the Christian New Testament is Jesus. See. And so the star of the first, well, all of the books, except for one, really, is... The big man himself. But of course, like Muhammad, never wrote anything down himself. No. So the Gospels are attributed to the apostles after whom they are named. How so on this list, we have one probably an apostle and one very often argued was not an apostle and the other two straight up are not. Oh. Yeah. I don't know where I got that sentence from. <laughs> Wikipedia. Well, it's, it's a fair summary with a loose definition of apostle. That's the tricky bit there. <laughs> Generally, it is traditionally the story that Matthew was the first to write a gospel, but not in Greek. The tradition is that he wrote it in Aramaic. Mm -hmm. If there's truth to that... And there's an awful lot of scholarship that says there's no truth to this tradition at all. If there is, the person responsible for translating Matthew's gospel leaned really hard into just ripping off the parts that told the same stories from Luke. <laughs> I have heard those two are quite similar. Or, yeah. or Mark. Yeah. It's tricky business. It's hard to say if that tradition is true. Matthew was probably... Uh, Levi, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Matthew being a nickname given to him as an apostle. Jesus nicknamed all the apostles. He didn't like any of their real names? I doubt it's because he didn't like the names. The privacy. It may have been a privacy thing. Um, it may have been a, you are a new creature, here is your new name kind of deal. Why is not part of the story? Just what? Here is your new name. The explanation is missing in every single case. I just like the idea that, <laughs> for example, 
I had a social studies teacher in high school. Mm-hmm. And she called my best friend the wrong name for two full years. Never got her name right once. That's, so that's a, what I like. As somebody who has suffered that, very annoying. I, that's kind <laughs> of what I want this to be. In, I don't remember your name, so you're Matt now. I moved to a new town partway through grade eight. Twice, How technically. I Preston. But the second time that I started a new thing in grade eight, my art teacher insisted that my name was Presley. Oh, okay. I was like, how do you write Preston? But Presley is quite close. Yeah. And she just refused to accept that my name was Preston. So in that way, she's got something in common with Jesus. Yeah. My best friend's Chloe and the teacher called her Cleo for three, two years. Oh, that'd be irritating. Yeah. For two years because she had her twice. So, yeah, that's kind of what I, I want this to be in my heart. Uh, right. You're probably right that it's like an anonymity thing. Right. If you're hanging out with a seditionist. Uh, sure. Might be good. Uh, there's also the possibility that this Matthew that we have may have been the later apostle Matthias. It's not a popular idea, but it's been thrown around a little bit. He's the dude that may have written a gospel in Aramaic which is unique for the entire New Testament. The only other time we're going to see Aramaic or Hebrew is in the Revelation of John. All right. So the Gospels, of course, all provide accounts of the life, teachings, death, and, of course, the resurrection of the good man, Jesus. Yeah. And so the the first three Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic Gospels because they are really a lot in common well, basically, there's a lot of this needs to be part of this book over here when we retell the story. Mark is another one who was not an apostle for sure. The tradition is that his story came from Peter, who was the chief apostle, the big dude in charge. And that Mark was the scribe who wrote down what is essentially the gospel according to Peter. And then Luke, later on, he was a traveling companion of Paul. We'll talk more about Paul later. He just recorded as much of all the different stories that he possibly could that were considered authoritative. So Luke's gospel is definitely pulling from Mark, possibly from Matthew, maybe not, but from a bunch of sources. And then we have the gospel according to John, which is traditionally the gospel of the apostle John, who was the beloved of Jesus. There's some doubt on that, but it's definitely the latest of the four. I was going to say, is that why there's some doubt? Because it's the newest. Yeah. And well, and it's most recent. Um, it gets labeled occasionally, depending on who you read, as a Gnostic gospel, because it has a couple of weird phrases at the beginning. It talks differently about Jesus than some of the earlier gospels, because it's trying to remind people of whatever doctrine is being taught by the group that this guy belongs to that's different from a lot of other groups. Yeah, and my understanding, having not gone to the Gospels yet, is that it leans very heavily into his divinity as opposed to, like, he did this, 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 and this, and this is what happened, as opposed to he's the son of God, praise be, walking on water. Yeah, the Synoptic Gospels are very much, this is our Messiah, the promised king and savior. And John is like, but also he's literally God kind of a big deal uh one of the first books i read this year was um how jesus became god by bart ehrman Mm -hmm. and bart ehrman in the book says he spent a whole year reading matthew mark and luke and he read them over and over and over again and then at the end of the year he read john and was like what the fuck is this that's (laughs) i mean if all you do is read harry potter and the philosopher's stone for a year over and over and over again but the tone doesn't <laughs> change, right? And I think that was his point, is that all of a sudden the tone and content changes so dramatically where Matthew, Mark, and Luke right. all mm-hmm. go very well together. A totally different tone, different style, uh, different same author. Story. Same story. Not- well, it's really not the same story. It's stories about the same guy with some overlap. But you'll, you'll see what's going on when you get in there. All right. <laughs> then, of course, we have the act X of the Apostles. Yeah, uh, basically the sequel to the Gospel of Luke specifically. Putting John in between actually interrupts the story in kind of a funky way, but not so much that it doesn't feel right. But But you could read Luke and then Acts. It's a really good way to read it. Just go straight from Luke into Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is the only Acts of that made it into the New Testament because it's all about Paul. He was an apostle. 
it never tells us how he was incorporated as an apostle. We hear about his vision of Jesus while he was traveling. He never knew Jesus. Right. Unless he was. Yeah, as as far as the story tells us, he never even met Jesus. But he was a Jewish rabbi, and he was going around trying to convince all these Christians, stop worshiping this dead guy who has been gone for a while, just causing problems. And then he has this vision says, stop persecuting Jesus. Instead, you're going to be a leader. And then he joins the apostles. If he was ever part of the 12, he probably would have been replacing the first martyr, um, James, the Mm -hmm. brother of John. But it's pretty unclear from history if that actually happened. All right. So after Acts of the Apostles, we have the Pauline Epistles or the letters of Paul. So many letters. So many letters. I had no idea which. So that's interesting. I learned a lot, but so many letters. So there are seven that are actually to believe believed to be written by Paul. To According me. to modern scholarship. Of course, tradition is a little more generous. Oh, yeah, but he wrote them all, <laughs> which I've started. So Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Philippians, 1st that's 1st Thessalonians. Galatians. Did I skip Galatians? You did. Oh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't it wasn't bolded, <laughs> but it does have an asterisk. Galatians, 1st Thessalonians, and Philemon were, again, as Preston said, scholars believe were to be actually written by Paul, but there's I don't even know how many total person. One, two, three. Thirteen epistles. Thirteen epistles. And he wrote just under half. No, over half of them. Just over. Just over half. <laughs> According to the studies that scholars generally agree on, criteria vary a little bit depending on who you talk to. But generally speaking, it's agreed that he did not write everything that's attributed to him, which is a pretty safe assumption to go forward with talking about such a major religious figure in that time period of 2,000 years ago in the formation of a new religious movement. Yep. So let's break down these epistles. All right. So for the most part, they're arranged by length rather than any sort of chronological order. Weird choice. Or geographic. I didn't even realize how these were all named. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Well, there's so many books of the Old Testament. You're like, okay, sure. Yeah. Leviticus. And I'm sure words guy here. It has some root word to it. Levites. It's, yeah. it's about the Levites. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Deuteronomy. The repetition of the law. Right. There's some breakdown of that word. So I was like, I don't know. These are just. Yeah. Thessalonians, I, the saints of Thessaloniki. Yeah. That's basically it. I always make the joke about Phalatian 6 9. Don't right. be a dick. Yes. Because that sounds like it fits right in. It does. That's not an accident. I know. <laughs> Between Galatians and Philippians, there's Philatians. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, go so ahead. the epistle to the Romans are the people of which city? Is it Rome? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and they get the longest letter because there is, well, a long list of things to correct. Also, it's Rome. I feel like they yeah. get the most convincing. Probably. I mean, he's not. I mean, well, it's wrong to say he's not trying to convince them of anything, but he is writing to people who already belong to the church, people who already believe in Jesus and just need to be corrected in a few points of practice and belief. This is really the deal there. So he explains the gospel, uh, how it transforms people to become a new creature, and that sin is a thing that is washed away in Christ, that you can be saved if you you know, stop being a dick. <laughs> I can get behind that. Right? It's easy enough. Preston, did you know first and second Corinthians is for the people of Corinth? I did. I did. You would know. <laughs> um, I... So, fun fact, there is for sure another epistle from Paul to the Corinthians before first Corinthians. Oh. So, all of the Corinthian letters are incorrectly numbered. What? <laughs> Jewish people struggling with numbers. <laughs> with numbering things. Um, so See the, our last episode of that joke. I'm not just being terrible. Um, so the trick is they're numbered based on the order, starting with the ones that, you know, got to be in the volume. If we just had 2nd and 3rd Corinthians. People go, where's number without, one? Yeah. So... To avoid the question, 
they get numbered one and two without removing the reference to the previous material. Ah, uh, point five, the prequel. It's an option. It's an option. Point five Corinthians. <laughs> Half uh, a Corinthian. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> so he's talking about issues that have come up in this community that he found out about living somewhere else. Corinthians are apparently, according to various sources, kind of a problem sexually. <laughs> and so Paul is like, could you guys not do what your neighbors are doing? You're making the rest of us look bad. <laughs> and it was already a problem within the church that, you know, this exact struggle was going on. Some of them wanted to live like their neighbors, others not so much. So there was some division in the church. And so this letter is basically straighten up, clean up your act. <laughs> yeah. Shame, shame. Yeah. Second Corinthians. Hey, you guys didn't really fix all your problems. So, so I, I have, have to, to write to you, you again. again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he defends his place as an apostle. Again, not entirely sure what that really means. The word apostle means somebody who goes out to teach. Someone who is sent out to deal with business all over the place. Are we holy watermelon apostles? Apostles of the watermelon? Do we go around outside? Like, do we actually travel to to spread the good news of no. how wonderful watermelon is? Not yet, but soon. Soon, with your support. <laughs> Maybe uh, once once we do that, I'll feel good about calling ourselves apostles, apostles of the watermelon. To the watermelon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and there's there probably was more content, more letters to the Corinthians. The Bible is not all of the word of God. Also, these letters are the words of Paul. <laughs> Just in case anybody got a little so bit twisted So does that make here. it? I mean, we had this conversation last episode, but like, yeah. that's pretty problematic to think it's the literal word of God when it's some guy writing a letter. Yep. Is it... Okay, I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. Okay. <laughs> it's an awful lot of atheists really have some pretty weird, incorrect ideas of what the Bible is, but most Christians do too. <laughs> the truth is somewhere in between those two visions. Okay. To call the Bible fiction is very problematic when you understand that fiction is a story meant to entertain. Even, even, a, even a story that is false, meant to deceive, technically is not fiction. And that's also not the intent here either. Yes, we. but we, as for Perlas, we know some stories were made up. Yes, like the story of Jonah, the story of Tobit, the story Job. of Judith, yeah. Um, Job. Yeah, those are fiction. Yeah. <laughs> and we know some are historical. And yeah. then there's some that are faith. Yeah, what, what you're just gonna looking decide. at history from a tinted lens. Yeah. So then we have the letter... We have Galatians, which is a letter to a church in Galatia. <laughs> this was the point where I was like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. Only four down. You got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure if you were more familiar with Greek major cities, you yeah, would have picked up yeah. on it much quicker. Yeah. I mean, Romans being the first should have been a clue. Well, Romans are also <laughs> a, like a people. That's like saying Canadian. Right. The letter to the yeah. Romans. Yeah, right? But So are they just, like, yeah. You get what I'm saying. I do. <laughs> I, I just know, gotta reveal a little I know, bit. <laughs> I, I know you understand what I'm saying. Yes, I do. <sighs> anyway, there is controversy in Galatia. I mean, there's, there's so much controversy in all of these places. Yeah, they need help. <laughs> but in Galatia, these people were really, really interested in following the law of Moses the Christians who are converting, who were previously just regular run-of-the-mill Greeks, felt that they were required to be circumcised and follow all the laws of Moses. And Paul is like, don't worry about it, bro. Jesus fixed all that. Yeah. That's basically the, the sum of that. All right. <laughs> the Ephesians is for the saints of... Ephesus. Perfect. Thank you. Basically... His primary concern is get along with each other. The good old Wheaton's Law, stop being a dick. 
because they were being a dick. It's not just don't be a dick. They had to stop. All right. The epistle to the Philippians. Philippi. Yeah. A lot of people pronounce it Philippi, and that just doesn't feel right. I'm trying to think of other Greek cities that end in an I, and I can only think of, well, this is Italian, Pompeii. Right. Which No, the, an, an <laughs> I at the end of the word is not pronounced I, it's E. Okay. Yeah. This is something you have to deal with a lot when you're crossing Languaging, language barriers. Yeah. But in this letter to the Philippians, Paul tells them that he is going to jail. Well, not jail, house arrest. Life sucks. <laughs> Life sucks and then you die. Right? I, ooh, too soon? Uh, yeah, he spent the last couple of years of his life in prison. So, yay. And then he was murdered because... Behead specifically. Yeah. Because he was getting real annoying to the Romans. Yeah, they do that to people that annoys them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he reminds them circumcision is not necessary and tells them to solve their problems internally rather than going to the courts because we don't need more bad press about the Christians. <laughs> Here we are in the 21st century. There's enough bad press about the Christians. I was going to say, Paul must be incredibly disappointed. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Also, the, with the sexual immorality, I'm like, ooh, don't tell them about the SBC <laughs> or the Catholic Church. So much problem. So much problem. So much problem. <laughs> All right. Then there's another letter to the saints of Colossae. Colossians. Yeah, they're called Colossians. And so is the letter. So it's a two-part letter. Tells them what they're supposed to believe and then tells them what they're supposed to do about it. Don't follow false teachers. Make sure you're praying right. Remember that Christ is the head of the church. And, you know, things like that. Don't be a dick. Is always on the list. <laughs> okay. All right. And then two more letters to the saints of Thessaloniki, also known as the letters to the Thessalonians. The first letter to the Thessalonians is one of Paul's earliest letters towards the end of the list because we're worried about length, short, yep. not chronology. So he's talking a lot about the return of Jesus, that we need to prepare for it. And um, in that second letter to the same group of people, telling them to keep the faith, hold strong, everything's going to be fine. It's really the deal. And those are his, I'll call them congregational letters. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're meant to be to the whole church in that city. And then he's got a handful of letters specifically to various bishops. I was going to say, what city is Timotheus? <laughs> and Titusian. <laughs> and Philemon... So Timmy and Tito <laughs> were bishops. Okay. So St. Timothy was the bishop of Ephesus. So there's a letter to the church as a general group, and then one just to the bishop. Actually, two. There's two it's letters to Timothy. Timothy. And so the first one explains the duties of church leaders, and the second one explains how the church is really supposed to be organized one of the reasons people are pretty sure Paul didn't write the second letter to Timothy and probably the first one as well is that the way the church is organized according to this letter isn't really the way that we see the church organized in Paul's lifetime. Mm. So, so something after the fact. That or um, the the possible alternative explanation is that Here's how Paul wants to organize the church, but he's not in charge. <laughs> and he can just say what he wants to the Bishop of Ephesus because they're sufficiently separated from Rome. Peter's probably not going to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the deal is there, but there is a lot of doubt on this idea that Paul is actually responsible for these letters. And then we get another letter. Again, supposed to be from Paul, maybe not, to Tito, the Bishop of Crete. He gets his own little island, separated from the rest of Greece. Who knows what he's up to? And so Paul has to explain to him, like he did to Timothy, the duties and expectations of priesthood office. I have a question. Yeah. Now I know at this point in history, this is all the Roman Empire, but... Yeah. Is there a reason it spread 
to Greece? It spread all over the place. Because these are all to whether now Greek. Yeah. The only, I guess Rome is so, in Italy, but that kind of Mediterranean as opposed to other places. So Christianity did spread in every direction. Okay. St. Thomas, also known as Judah, the brother of Jesus, went to India. St. Andrew went up north to Ukraine before it was even called Ukraine. And they went everywhere. But the the great thing about having the capital of the empire being in Rome is that that's the only story that matters <laughs> when it comes time to putting this book together. Okay. As everything is very much centralized and we care about these stories. These are authoritative. Everything else is too far away. It's too dubious. We don't know what's up. Okay. <laughs> I was just... That's that's the validation for it that's um, kind of tricky. Okay. Thanks. And the Catholic Church, who is basically responsible for building up the Bible as we know it for Christians really liked Paul. Okay. Not even very much Peter. We have very little Peter content considering that he was the, the head guy. of the church yeah. for a long time, about 30 years. Yeah. He's got Paul's the keys the guy. <laughs> Peter's got the keys though, man. Yeah. It's, it's really weird how little Peter content we have. Didn't Peter and Paul hate each other? There was conflict <laughs> and the church chose Paul. <laughs> Which again is weird. Okay. Uh, when I say the church chose Paul, I mean the church of the second and third and fourth centuries. Right. Not the church of the first century when they were both alive. Though naturally it seems pretty safe to assume that in the first century Paul had a pretty solid following. Or else it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of funky. All right. Sorry. Carry on with your Timothys. Oh, we're, we, on, we're on Titus? We're on Titus. Um, yeah, we're on Titus. Sorry. We, we just covered Titus. Uh, so remember, there's some doubt about these, um, we'll call them pastoral letters, letters to the, the pastor or bishop of these congregations. That's the deal. Paul probably didn't write them, but maybe he did. It's tricky business. The next one, Philemon, who is counted as a saint. He was the leader of the church of Colossae, the Colossians. So another bishop or a leader who is connected with another letter that got a congregational letter. Paul writes this guy because his slave, Onesimus, had run away to Paul. <laughs> and so Paul and Timothy together write to convince Philemon to take back this slave and not punish him for running away. So St. Philemon, maybe we uh, put him on saints who shouldn't be saints. Sounds like an upstanding we, guy. We don't know how the story ends. Oh, no. We don't know. Oh. <laughs> oh. What we do know is that we have this letter. I don't like that. Yeah. I don't think it ended well. Who knows? We, we can choose to believe that there's a happy ending. I mean, I don't think Philemon is freeing slaves. <laughs> <laughs> if he's got one just running away. But, and then why would you run away if you were treated well? Right. Yeah. It's tricky business. Yeah. Well. Well, those are the, the Pauline epistles. And now we got more letters. These yeah. are the general epistles. Yeah. Um, the next section is letters that are theoretically dispersed all over at least the big cities of the Roman Empire. Who knows how broadly they were really dispersed to begin with. Of course, Ephesus. now. Ephesus. Right. <laughs> Today, they're scattered everywhere. Yes. Because Christians will make every, sure of that. <laughs> every hotel in the world. Right. Maybe well, not probably not every everywhere, hotel, but, but an awful lot. lot. <laughs> so it starts off with Hebrews, which has unknown author, though it has been attributed to Barnabas, Clement of Rome, Paul Paul always starts his letters saying, hey, it's me, Paul, your boy. And Hebrew doesn't <laughs> really have that. I really wish that's how it actually started. <laughs> that would be great. Col First Colossians 1. Hey, it's me, your boy, Paul. <laughs> said unto Colossia. That was bad. <laughs> it was really bad for a lot of reasons. I'm so sorry. So if it's not super obvious by the title, the epistle to the Hebrews, this is a general letter to the Hebrews, those of the Jewish faith 
uh, and more specifically those who had already accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Yeah, so the one thing I found interesting in, in reading all this stuff is the term Jewish Christians. Because, yeah, they, because Christianity they isn't a thing yet, but they yeah. have, there are Jews that have accepted Christ. So, yes, this is to Jewish Christians. Yeah, saying, don't go back to the law. This, These ordinances of doing every little thing according to the law of Moses, no longer necessary. Jesus fulfilled the law, is the final great sacrifice. That's basically the deal. Then we have James, who is the brother of Jesus. So his real name is Jacob. Uh-huh. And James is just thrown in there because... James likes renaming people. No. No, it's it's newer than that. Oh, okay. Um, oh, is this has to do with King James? That's the popular theory. Okay. But it was already popular at, at before the 1600s to swap out the name Jacob for James. Is that because Jacob was too Jewish? Very likely. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, the story I always heard was that King James, when he rewrote the Bible, he just changed a bunch of characters' names to James. Conveniently, for the the background of that, every character named James is Jacob. It's not like George became James and Paul became James and Herodias became James. First James, <laughs> second James. First James the first, second James the first, letter to the James. James that would be so awful. Jamesian epistles, the gospel of James. I feel like we've talked about this before, that there Deuter was a pope James. that was irritated that there were too many Marys. Yeah, and so why. he just made it official doctrine that they're all the same except for the mother Mary. <laughs> we, we can bring it down to two That's terrible. <laughs> when there was several. And naming so many people James is a is tricky. <laughs> so anyway, James, brother of Jesus, originally Jacob, his letter is to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. So you could definitely take this and and you should as another epistle to the Hebrews. The advantage here is that we happen to know with some certainty, assuming that the author is correctly identified, who the author is. Right, as opposed to Hebrews, which is unidentified. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's intended for these Jewish Christians, these early converts, or I guess believers. Yeah. To pursue their faith, do good works, and to not be dicks. Yeah. There's a lot of energy spent over the last 2,000 years arguing on who is right between Peter or between Paul and James. That... Paul talks about, well, I mean, you don't have to follow the law. Your faith is enough. And James is like, if you have real faith, you're going to act on it properly and not be a total dick all the time. And for some reason, this has caused arguments. <laughs> yep. You don't have to follow the law of Moses, but also you do still have to not be a dick. There's things that you do have to do. Jesus said so. Paul's like, no, no, just have faith. So Paul is, and and I mean, fast forward literally two thousand years. I can see why evangelicals really lean on that, where it's like, as long as you have a close personal relationship with JC, nothing else matters. And it's like, oh no, that's not quite right. Your beliefs will modify your actions. <laughs> Man, I just finished another great book. I posted in our Discord, Jesus and John Wayne. Mm-hmm. And I just would love for Jesus to come back and lay the smack down on these people. He's a table flipper. You know I, he'd do something. Well, and even <laughs> the way this book talks about like a warrior Jesus, I'm like, yeah, sure. He could just come back and again, lay the smack down on all these prosperity gospel, purity culture. Some of the Christian most horrifying nationalists, people. Most horrifying people. Christians. I would love for Jesus to come back and be like, you're doing it wrong and just backhand them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I digress. Uh, first, Peter. <laughs> yes, we do get a we get two letters from Yay, Peter. Peter. I, we can expand this to include the gospel according to Mark, if it was in fact according like it is traditionally the gospel of Peter through Mark. It's still not very much content. No. So, Peter, the head of the church, intended for Christians to 
you know, suck it up and power through the persecution that's coming their way. And especially help out those in exile, those who are aliens, and just generally keep the faith when life is hard. The second one, the second letter of Peter, is generally believed by scholars to be targeted towards the Gentile Christians of modern-day Turkey. It's where some of these cities that we were talking about earlier are. And it's pretty different from First Peter, where it worries about false teachers, talks a little bit about the second coming, and it also deals with the material of Jesus when he was dead for a couple of days. Some nifty stuff. And again, reminds people, Jesus is coming back. So be prepared. Be good. It's the defining of good that has since been the problem. But Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So then we have first, second, and third John. Yeah. Uh, and this is attributed to John the Evangelist. Yeah. And there's a lot of John, so please enlighten me on which one this is. So John the Evangelist is the John who wrote of the gospel. the gospel, but not the revelation of John. Yeah, traditionally, only one John, because reasons. Um, but scholars. scholars generally agree that we're talking about different Johns, that John the Revelator is not the same person as John the Apostle or John the Evangelist or John, or the, John the Elder. John the Baptist happened way before all of this, but... Luckily, nobody thinks that John the Baptist wrote anything in the New Testament because he died pretty early pretty in the early story. <laughs> but when I say there's a lot of Johns, I mean, there's a lot of doubt all around on the subject of who is John. Fair. To say that all three letters plus Revelation plus the gospel are the same John is an opinion held by some. Um, most scholars dismiss it completely. So first John is intended for Christians, unlike the gospel of John, which is intended for non-believers. The letter is all about love of God and how to know if your communion with God is genuine. Which is pretty good advice. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely a thing that more people should be seriously contemplating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Second John Similar stuff intended for Christians warns against false teachers. Third John's really interesting. Yeah, third third John's different. <laughs> so third John is similar to second John in style. So scholar believe that this author is definitely the same, whether the others are disputed or not. Um, John, third John is a personal letter. And it is the only book in the New Testament that does not contain the words Jesus or Christ. But hospitality, very important. Kind of nice. Yeah. Which you may remember from our recent interview with Dr. Wes. That part of the world, hospitality is a big deal. Honestly, most parts of the world, hospitality is a big deal. North America is very weird. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's tough. Because I also get like stranger danger. Right. But I've also been on the receiving end of very kind hospitality of strangers. So Sure. Anyway. All right, one more epistle. Hey, Jude. (laughs) So this epistle of Jude is from the brother of Jesus, uh, which other Christian tradition tells us this is St. Thomas. Okay. Though there is some others that say, well, if, if he was an apostle, maybe not Thomas, maybe the other Judah. Uh, also called Thaddeus. But because it's identified as the brother of James and Jesus, it's pretty unlikely that it's Thaddeus. It's more likely Thomas. Um, I have a friend who named her child Thaddeus. It's not a wildly uncommon name. Jude warns about false prophets and reminds people that, hey, maybe you shouldn't rebel against the authorities of the church um, because that'll cause you some problems. (laughs) And, yeah, it might serve um, some of our megachurch pastors pretty well. <laughs> and that's the letters that feel like letters. And then there's the Revelation of John, which starts out as a letter to seven churches. And then gets really deep into the end of the world business. Yeah, then he took some mushrooms or something and it gets wild. <laughs> so all of the 
well, not all, most of the wildest material that we find in the Revelation of John is pulled from the Hebrew Bible. That's true, yep. So he reworks it a little bit to fit into a narrative a little bit better so that you can follow it and recognize that there are stages to this end-of-the-world scenario. But most of it's pulled from the prophets that came before him. Yeah, we did do a full episode on the Revelation. So you have to go back for that. So you have to go back for that, but uh, I mean, we spent a whole hour on the Revelation of John. So yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, So I don't think we need to get into a whole lot deeper than that. Yeah, and we're going to force you to listen to more of our podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Duh. Uh, What what did we call that episode? Uh, Apocalypse Now? Apocalypse Now? Yeah, there was was a question mark on that title because, you know, reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we talked about the canonization of the Hebrew Bible and how it actually happened after the Christian Bible. Yeah. So canonizing this Bible. Well, there's no exact number. Scholars believe that there are hundreds of books written during this time period that would have been up for consideration. Uh, The process was similar for the Hebrew and Christian uh, Bibles, uh, where a group decided which books were more important historically, spiritually, or culturally. Athanasius of Alexandria was the first person to put together the 27 books of the New Testament as we see them today. He did that in 367 CE. Yeah. Not that he's the first person to put together a list. Just He's the one who put together the list we have this now. List. Yeah. <laughs> the official canonization of the Bible happened at the councils of Hippo and Carthage in 393 and 397, respectively. Uh, so about 30 years after... Athanasius put together his list. Very nice. So there's so much content that didn't make this very short list. Mentioned the the real first letter to the Corinthians. There are several books referred to in the New Testament that are not included in the Bible, despite being referred to as authoritative or in some sort of authoritative way or being genuine. There is a letter to the Laodiceans. Uh, referred to in Colossians chapter 4. There is that letter of Corinthians referred to in chapter 5 of what we currently call the first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, There is a letter to the Ephesians before the one that we have mentioned in chapter 3 of the same letter to the Ephesians. And in the first few verses of the letter of Jude, depending on how you interpret it, it feels like there might have been another letter from Jude before that one. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to get on to rejected books. But you told me last episode that the books that aren't in the Christian Bible are not called Apocrypha. What are they I called? Mean, sometimes they're called Apocrypha, but they're not the Apocrypha. Okay. Apocrypha is a generalized term for things that are, in modern language, not part of the canon. So what we call the Apocrypha in your printed Bible some groups will call it the Deuterocanon, like a secondary set of books that aren't quite as authoritative as the first set. For what is traditionally the the Old Testament Apocrypha, that's a solid list. These are the books. And then everything else is categorized as apocryphal, but not the Apocrypha. The New Testament doesn't have a list of the New Testament Apocrypha. It's just kind of this broad, nebulous category of all the things that feel New Testamenty that didn't make the cut for one reason or another. All right. And you made a really great point. Um, I don't know if you made it on air last week, but about, and we touched on it, the Bible being the unerring word of God, but there are prophecies from God that didn't make it into the Bible. And I like that yeah. dichotomy you explained. Yeah, there's the entire project of compiling the Bible as we know it today is made by people who are as flawed or more flawed than the people who wrote it. So there's a lot of things that just don't make it into the final cut that fits conveniently on your bookshelf. This is a whole library being condensed. And so there are a whole bunch of prophecies quoted in the Gospels that we actually don't know where they come from. Sometimes they're just weird Greek rewordings of Hebrew prophecies that'll happen sometimes. But other times we, we just don't know where these prophecies come from. 
like the prophecy that Jesus would be a Nazarene. We don't know where that comes from. But the New Testament says, yeah, that's a prophecy. So A convenient one. <laughs> so saying that the Bible is the complete and uner unerring word of God is ridiculous. If it's complete, then you've rejected a lot of things that might actually help you out more. Well, and then rejecting things even like these first letters that he obviously is referencing for a reason. So yep. if, <laughs> yeah, and this was kind of what you explained. It's like, or in the same with the Hebrew Bible, like they cut out things that are now being referenced as important, but probably cut out for redundancy. A lot of the time, I think that's probably the case, but so, we yeah. have pretty personal letters that made it into the New Testament yeah. and a lot of congregational letters that were probably very useful that didn't make the cut. Mm -hmm. Now, I... I sometimes find, I do, I find the rejected books more interesting than what's in there. I've, I've read more of these Gospels <laughs> than I have of the real Gospels. Uh, so there, as Preston mentioned, there's a whole bunch of books that were rejected. There's the Gospel of Thomas, the Epistle of Barnabas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and the Gospel of Judas. Since these are just some, some of the more popular but, yeah, ones. <laughs> right? Now, the Gospel of Thomas was actually was believed to be written in about the second century CE. And we don't know why this book didn't make the cut. And it was unknown to scholars. I love the story. It's unknown to scholars until 1945 when it was found in Egypt. Have you heard about the whole like murder? I have heard about it. Yeah. So, and it's like heartbreaking. I don't, even, I don't remember the full story now, but these guys were like digging on their property and they found these like giant urns. And it's filled with these gospels, like these texts that nobody had ever seen before. And someone had murdered like their dad. And so then they like revenge murdered. And so then the police were coming for them and they started burning these writings. And so the gospels, Thomas is like, what was left after they burned these 2000 year old documents? And then yeah. he was like, what was in them? Right. It's a tragedy. tragedy. Just, just for the sake, sake of historical curiosity yeah that's exactly why yeah. i'm upset because you know i don't yeah have any faith yeah. um yeah i want to know what's in them maybe it was like this is all a lie or <laughs> or or proof right sure who knows uh the gospel of thomas is a wild ride it is yeah it's considered a gnostic gospel so it's it's an infancy gospel it tells about the youth the the early days of jesus which is a time that the the canonical gospels leave out I don't have them separated, so I don't know why. It's, Sorry. It's so wild. <laughs> it is wild. And I, again, I love it deeply. Jesus is a moody fucking kid. <laughs> and he just kills people. Yeah. Well, constantly. okay. So even though I don't think that this book is authoritative, it doesn't feel wildly off brand when you read some of the stories of Jesus in the New Testament that, that did make the canon where he gets really pissed off at a fig tree and curses it forever. I mean, this is, it's on brand for that. Yeah, so it <laughs> describes his life from about the ages of 5 to 12. And so the first story has a boy who, like, runs and, like, body checks Jesus while playing in the street. And Jesus gets angry, curses him on the spot, and he withers up and dies. Like, I love that so much. But, okay, there is a sequel to that mini story where Joseph finds out, scolds Jesus. Jesus brings him back, but leaves him. I can't remember if it's a withered hand or a limp or something like that. He's not fully back, but he's alive again. Can, <laughs> did you kill someone again, Jesus? <laughs> Just, I love it. In another story, a teacher scolds Jesus for misbehaving in class. This one speaks to me because that was always me. <laughs> Jesus responds by cursing him, the teacher, and he falls to the ground and dies. Yeah. This young Jesus is full of rage. I, and, like, how come he wasn't on anyone's radar yet? Like, there's just this kid in Nazareth killing people and then being like, oh, fine, dad, I'll bring him back. Right? He, he would have been on people's radar way, way sooner. sooner. 
it's one of the reasons why this book is considered to be fiction. I mean, I love it. <laughs> There's another story where Jesus playing by a stream and he sees some other boys building a dam and he just like randomly gets angry with them and he causes the water to flood over the dam and they drown the boys. <laughs> what? It's bananas. It's so bananas. <laughs> I love it so much. It, again, it's like him being like, hey, Tim, no, you're Presty now. <laughs> And you pissed me off, you did. And I might bring you back because dad got mad at me for it. But So when Jesus tells you what to do, you, you just do as you're told because yeah. he's going to kill you. Kill you. <laughs> I guess, again, again, back to this book of like Jesus and John Wayne where they talk about this warrior, like uber manly Jesus. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is warrior Jesus, but he's like 12. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine the second coming and he comes back as like a 12 year old i'd be way more terrified the bible to the reckoning <laughs> <laughs> just has a big old tantrum i like <laughs> all right the epistle of barnabas is basically it does encourage christians to read the laws and rules deeper than their literal meaning try to look for a spiritual meaning and see the old testament as really a, a forerunner to the new covenant is this where we get the song of songs is actually jesus's love for the church i really hope not don't think that that was really on his radar when he's trying to talk about probably this. probably not but I'll, there is a lot of this idea that yeah the whole bible must be of spiritual value and so when we get to talk about porn because oh, <laughs> that's what it is it's just the old school Fifty Shades of Grey in a poem form. Yeah. It's trying to force that into this idea that it represents God's romantic connection with the church as a husband with wife. I mean, that's that metaphor does exist in the New Testament, including the Song of Solomon in that is quite the big step. <laughs> So but, I don't think Barnabas was talking about that. that, not, not that. <laughs> uh, then there's the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and it was discovered in 1896. The manuscript is also missing lots of pages, both from the beginning and the middle. So the remains are a conversation between Jesus and his disciples post-resurrection, and Mary retells a conversation she had with Jesus about her visions. Mary Magdalene as the protagonist of this story, I with the vast majority of scholars on the subject doubt that it is genuine. But there's all kinds of things that are possible, though doubtful. Well, impossible. <laughs> Anything's possible. Then we have the Gospel of Judas. Not written by Judas himself, but rather scholars believe this was written by a second century Gnostic. Like my favorite musical, the Gospel of Judas doesn't frame Judas as the villain, but rather someone who do was doing as Jesus asked of him. Please betray me. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important that the word that we use as betray in the the Greek that this New Testament was written in isn't the same way that we use betray today. Is that Iscariot? Judas Iscariot? That, yeah, that's what Iscariot means, right? What Iscariot, is Iscariot? Iscariot means is from Kerioth. Oh, okay. A town I in Judea. I remember hearing it wasn't his last name. Yeah, it wasn't okay, his last yeah. name. Okay. It just marking it as his name in the New Testament was what othered him from all of the other okay. of apostles who were from the northern province called Galilee. Oh, okay. He was different. He was from the south. Okay. I just know it wasn't his last name. Thank you yeah. for clarifying. Uh, his, he would have been Judah Ben Simon as much as last names were a thing. If you were really hanging out with the Romans, you'd get an alternate name. Like Paul was known as Saul to the Romans. It wasn't so much a new name. It was just, this is the name I use with these people. It would be more interesting if it was legit written by Judas Iscariot. But it's, you know, later trying to make him look like not such a bad guy. But instead, somebody who has secret knowledge that the other apostles didn't get. Hence Gnostic. Yeah, that's exactly the whole deal. There's also the Apocalypse of Peter. So remembering that Apocalypse in this case means the Revelation. Um, yeah. But it is pretty horrifying, nonetheless. <laughs> it's favorable. Like, you want more content from Peter kind of situation. But it's got some really weird content. 
Yeah, and I know, and, and we haven't done an episode specifically on hell, but my understanding is that a lot of our vision of hell is from Dante's Inferno. A lot of, uh, yeah. But this is, right? This it's is on big. brand. Yeah, this is on brand. <laughs> uh, so Peter says that blasphemers are hanged by the tongue in hell. Those who deny justice are set in a pit of fire. Women who adorn themselves for the purpose of adultery are hung by their hair over a bubbling mire. Ugh. The men who had adulterous relationships are hung by their genitals next to them. I'd pick hair for sure. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's all awful. Yeah. This, of course, is taken from the philosophy that the punishment must fit the crime instead of, you know, in the eternal perspective, you'll see why your behavior is bad and change your ways. And Christ covers that. Doesn't feel very on brand for Jesus. But it's pretty on brand for the Catholic Church. <laughs> I'm horrified. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Li- you can go to, I grab these from Wikipedia. There's like a list of 20. I just picked, sure. I was like, I'm not going to list all these horrifying things. Right. <laughs> um, so if you want to hear more horrifying things, that's up there. It's, it's an interesting book. It's, I mean, what's how do I want to phrase this? Our culture loves horror films, body horror, torture porn. That's that's what we're looking at here. All right. Because <laughs> the Gospels weren't enough. I mean, there's very little torture in the Gospels. The there's entire, some at the, the end. entire passion is pretty, yeah. pretty brutal. Yeah, but it's not really described in agonizing that's detail. True. We'll save that for Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah. The Apocalypse of Peter gets gross. We also talked last week about plagiarisms in the Hebrew Bible. Well, yeah, the Christian Bible is not innocent either. But it's different. It is different. <laughs> yeah, so there's other stories found in the Middle East at the time that are incredibly similar to stories in the Bible. And there's other characters. We've talked about it before on an episode a really long time ago. Uh, there's an excellent scholarly book called Jesus, Potter, Harry, Christ. And... That examines pre-Jesus figures that have similar stories to Jesus. So Apollonius of Tyana was a religious leader that performed miracles like healing is not raising people from the dead. Attis was a deity in Eastern Mediterranean before the rise of Christianity. He died and was resurrected. Horus is an Egyptian god we've talked about in the past. Had a virgin birth, is associated with rebirth, death, and resurrection. And also performed miracles like walking on water. And then we have Dionysus, a Greek god associated with wine. And not just the debauchery, but wine is considered <laughs> the blood of Dionysus. So, some overlaps. There is some overlap. There's a better explanation, even from an unfaithful perspective, I think. Okay. All of the things that have made the list that you've given us so far are things that people already hope for. Oh, yeah. It's just cool <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah. So great miracles are just things that we want to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I don't know if anyone took a list and was like, oh, I like this from Apollonius and this from Addis. But these stories have been told before. Yeah. To say that these are unique stories that we've never seen somebody walk on water before. I mean, we have told stories about it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, there's, I mean, there's others I haven't even mentioned. There's story. Krishna has similar stories in yeah. Hinduism. Yeah. Uh, which is when they went to proselytize the Hindus. They're like, oh, we already have that one. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, For a lot of people in the the Indian subcontinent, when when Thomas showed up and said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, they're like, this sounds a lot like Krishna. Yeah, yeah. we're on board. <laughs> yeah. So the the I guess the thesis of Jesus, Potter, Harry, Christ is that Jesus himself is a Christ figure. Yeah. That these themes have existed pre yes, Jesus. These so, themes have definitely existed. Yeah, in so literature we look at people time. like Harry Potter and you go, oh, well, that's a Christ figure, his story, because he dies and is resurrected and defeats the big evil. It's, you know, following in line with the Bible. Well, no, the Bible's actually following in line with stories even older than that. Yeah. And again, I like I say, I don't think someone went, oh, check, check, check. Anyway. Now I'm gonna throw a, a Christian wrench in your gears. Oh no. <laughs> what if? What if? All of these stories evolved from That's... prophecies oh. about Jesus. Oh, I was going to say, what if it was the same person? 
of the timeline is all screwed up for it to be the just one one person okay. in different cultures. <laughs> but if he's eternal, eternal in the samsara cycles could work out that way, but the Christian story doesn't work that way. <laughs> eternal is a little different. <laughs> all right, well. I like that better than prophecy, but. <laughs> but that, I mean, an argument. Yeah, it's it's an idea that has some popularity. Uh, certainly not in the scholarly world where things are very evidence-based. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And we can't really talk about Bibles without addressing the translation. Issue. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call it an issue. It's It's an issue. There are more than a hundred English translations of the whole Bible available. And when I say whole Bible, I mean Old and New Testaments for the Christian Bible. There's more for just the Old Testament Hebrew Bible and pretty close to the same number for just the New Testament. Yeah. So when we started our Patreon Bible study, it was literally like, Preston, which one do I read? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to get into some of those. And then I have one that was published. Pretty recently. Pre yeah, definitely within the last 10 years. I had met my husband when I got them. So yeah. uh, Bibliotheca, which is a super cool design project, which is why I bought it. And now like I'm slowly it. reading it. So that one was published in the last 10 years. And it is a new translation. I don't know how popular it is besides people who like really beautifully designed books. But yeah, so new translations all the time. Yeah. One, I think I've talked about this before. One of the jobs I had a decade ago was translating the Bible from Greek to English. Bibliotheca. I did not. <laughs> uh, uh, my work will probably never be published. The guy who paid me to do it died years ago. And so I have no idea what his daughter is doing with that content now. All right. Well, we're going to go through some of the most popular <laughs> ones. We're not going to go through all 100. Because... Basically, Cliff's Notes. Um, I... I kept the list to significant versions. <laughs> you don't have Gideon in here. So there's not a Gideon translation that I'm aware of. Yeah, they're just... The Gideon Bible, that's a publication of the King James oh, Bible. Oh, okay. At least I'm pretty sure it's King James. It's been a little while since I looked at yeah, it. Yeah, so the Gideon's Pretty confident right now. <laughs> put it in. Yeah. Yes. So there's... Some versions of the Bible do strictly limit their work to translating a specific manuscript... Like, you'll find, I have on my bookshelf the, the Byzantine text type, mm -hmm. which even that isn't one specific manuscript, but a smaller collection of manuscripts that deviate less within that library than others would. Um, others will focus on finding the best combination of manuscripts, which is itself a hell of a trick. The textual variations within the New Testament manuscripts are very numerous, you'll find that that's one of the big complaints that Muslims will bring against Christians. There's very few textual variations in the Quran. A lot of people will say there's none. That's not true. But there are not very many, which is pretty cool. Well, and it helps. In, we'll get into that later. Yeah, it helps that. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Yeah, we'll say that for next episode. Yeah, we can't we can't well, spoil yeah. everything now. We're already at an hour fifteen too. So <laughs> all right, so textual variations in copies over several centuries—that's pretty overwhelming. Most authorities like to look at the oldest manuscripts, but oldest does not mean original. The original manuscripts are lost, and even in the oldest, say ten we've got significant variations between them because they've come from different previous sources. So everything's a best, best guess sort of business. John Wycliffe's Bible was the first complete Bible in English, published in 1382. And this first edition preserved the Latin word order, which made it kind of clunky. So he did a second edition to make it more English-friendly. You can track down a Wycliffe Bible easy enough. Um, the next really popular one was the King James Authorized Version, published with the approval of Parliament and the King in 1611 for the Church of England. Catholics should not use it for one simple reason, in my opinion. They sent Guy Fawkes to prevent its publication in 1604. <laughs> 
I mean, it was what he blew up Parliament for. What that's what the plan was. Yeah. Um. I mean, it wasn't the only thing on the list. The other, a big part of the inspiration behind getting rid of an Anglican king in favor of a Catholic king was the publication of the Bible. Because Catholics at the time thought it was a terrible idea to let random people read the Bible. That should only be up to the priests, which, you know, is a really good way to control people. (laughs) Preservation of power, you know. It's gross. The Jefferson Bible, we've talked about that before in our Deism episode. King James was one of a few Bibles he used for this project. So it's a significant Bible. It was the big one for a long time. It is still the most popular Bible in America. About 55% of readers, according to a survey about two years ago, said that they prefer the King James, which is kind of embarrassing. It's not that good of a translation. We've done better so many times since then. (laughs) The one that I've been using for university stuff is the New Revised Standard Version. It was published in 1989, so it's not the newest, but it's pretty good. There was a major update uh, just two years ago in 2021. And I think most universities do prefer you cite this particular version of the Bible. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, translations. There's actually a movie I want to watch on our Discord that I talked to you about, and we had a disagreement, but I understand now, uh, <laughs> on Bible translation. Yeah. I'm still curious what their point of view is, though. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, no, we'll I'll explore it. I'm just going to allude to it, so you have to join our Discord. And then to, join us for a movie night. And then join us for a movie night to find out more. So if you want to support the podcast, Discord's a great place to do it. Facebook, Instagram, Patreon. We could really use some help to expand this podcast so if you got a few spare shekels i believe that is the money of this time (laughs) depends what part of the world you're looking at this part of the world not canada jerusalem there so there was the jewish shekel but they were also mostly using that in the temples i think actually uh they would have been using the roman well, this is holy, so shekels, please. Okay. Uh, there are a few shekels. Uh, we have three Patreon tiers. One is just a very cheap monthly donation to say thank you. Uh, then we have our bonus episode and early release tier for five Canadian dollars. And then we have our book club tier, also five Canadian dollars. So if you're an American listener, that it's a steal. Right. Um, where we read a book every couple months and then have a coffee chat about it with our lovely patron patron lisa thank you so much for your support if the subscription model is not your thing we also have a merch store on spreadshirt yeah i feel like i need to mention it one more time we do have katie's bible study on patreon exclusive for those people who want to pay so for it in the- addition to other exclusive content yeah so this is a theological study we're okay. really breaking it down not just an hour on the entire 27 books right <laughs> it's a lot more in depth yes uh, and again with more of a theological angle which we don't want to do on the main podcast uh yeah but katie's called katie does a bible study so thanks for joining us peace, peace be with, with you. you by the late middle ages the christian prophecy can fulfill itself.